but it really is a challenge for all of us going through Christmas. How many of you just uh, really, really think that Christmas is the greatest time of the year? Okay, about half. How many of you pretty much could just kind of take the season or leave it? How many of you would, will be glad when it's over? Okay, all right. Well, that's good. It, you know, it really is good to be honest in church. <laughs> so I'm glad you're honest today. But we, we're challenged during this time of the year, and, and I want everybody, all of you to recognize, we understand that. It is, it is a, a difficult time. Do you know there probably are more suicides taking place during this season than any other time of the year? It, it's because there's a lot, of, a lot of issues, a lot of struggles. So we want to be mindful of the struggles that people have. We're challenged to stay calm, aren't we, in a hustle-bustle world. We're, we're challenged to be kind, even at Walmart, <laughs> right? We're, we're challenged to stay positive when others are being bah humbuggish, right? Uh, but more specifically, we're, we're challenged not to spend too much money. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. It's a real challenge. We're challenged to keep Christmas about Christ. Amen? We're challenged not to become grumps. I mean, this is good preaching, right? But I love Christmas. I love the sights and the sounds and the smells and the flavors, especially the flavors. Love the flavors. Um, beautiful lights, evergreens, uh, laughter of children, sticky fingers from melting Candy canes, the drone of jingle bells at Walmart over and over and over and over and over again. Um, but I do love some, some songs and some things. Our senses come alive, don't they, at Christmas time as we sip some hot chocolate with the little tiny marshmallows on top? Anybody like that? Don't make them any other time of the year, you know, just, just around Christmas time. As we shake packages to determine what's inside, when we, when we hear the, the loving message of the baby Jesus lying in a manger, and as we see snowflakes drifting, <laughs> not, but, but anyway, I, I want us to really start the season out right, uh, so let's get started right now. How many of you have ever made a promise? Oh, come on. Everybody can raise their hand to that one. How many of you have ever made a promise? Again, let me see. Come on. How many of you have ever made a promise and didn't keep it? Oh, my Lord, have mercy. Ah, you broke your promise. Well, don't ever promise a kid something and, and then not come through. And also mothers. Somebody reminded me this morning in the first go around. Don't ever promise something to your mother and not keep it because she will never, ever let you live it down. Get a witness there? All right. Well, it's all true. We, we all make promises, and we all fail to keep promises. Maybe not all promises that we make we, we fail on, but we do fail on some of them. Um, but do you know why we sometimes fail to keep our word? And, and this is a couple of good reasons. First is we're human. We have human characteristics. We have human brains. We have human attention spans. We have human memories, right? 
And so we're human. Uh, the Apostle Paul struggled with being human when he was talking about in, in Romans. He said, you know, I want to do the right thing, and I don't. I don't want to do the bad thing, and I do. And then he goes on to say, oh, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? You know, so he's, he's kind of discouraged there as well because being human, we sometimes don't uh, hold up on our end of the deal. The other reason is we don't have the strength or knowledge to carry everything through. Now, you, you may say, what? We don't have the strength or knowledge, and so we don't keep our promises. Well, I want to give you a for instance. Let's say you have a child in your family is either one of yours, a grandchild, or a nephew, or a next-door neighbor kid or something like that, and they come up to you and they say, hey, we're having our Christmas play Tuesday night at 6 o'clock. Will you please come and watch me in our Christmas play? I'm a shepherd this year, and I, and I want you to come and watch me. And your response is, I'll try. <laughs> or when you finally come around and say, all right, grandchild, son, daughter, friend, I'm going to come. I'm going to be there. I want to see you being a shepherd. I want to enjoy the season with you. I, I, I want this to happen. Does it sound familiar? We get in traffic on A1A after Pastor Blake once says, and we popped a tire or two on A1A, and then we get through the traffic, uh, and, we, and we run into a situation where now it's getting close to 6 o'clock, it looks like we're going to squeak in, and then all of a sudden it stops dead still. Not only do we get in there late, we miss the whole thing, right? That, that is a familiar tune. How many of you have done that? Two. I've done that. Four. The conviction of the Holy Spirit's getting on you, isn't it? Have you ever done that? Okay. Well, in, in, this, in this case, it wasn't so much the heart that was causing us to break a promise, but it was our humanity and our inability to see the future, our inability to lift up cars, to move them to the side so that we could get through, right? With every good intention, we could not see that A1A was going to be backed up. So we made a promise to a child, and we said, we will be there. Will you promise, Daddy? I promise I'll be there. The only home run my son ever hit, I missed as a, as a little leaguer. And he holds me to it today. <laughs> so we couldn't see the future. We couldn't understand what was happening. We didn't have the knowledge and we didn't have the strength to know that we couldn't keep that promise or we would not have made that promise, right? Right? We are limited by our strength, and we are limited by our knowledge. But here's the good news. God is not. God is not limited by a lack of knowledge. God is not limited by a lack of strength. He is not torn between right and wrong like you and I are sometimes. He knows everything. His strength is limitless. And when God makes a promise, guess what? He is able to keep. His promise. And that's why Paul in 2 Corinthians uh, first, uh, first chapter says, all the promises of God are yes and amen. All the promises of God are, King James Version, I like that, are yea and amen. Yea and amen. So we're starting our celebration of Christmas with a story of 
John the Baptist today. I love this story. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Uh, It's found in Luke chapter 1. You can go there if you want to right now. The reason we're going to do that is because John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus Christ. And because we get to see how God always carries through on his promises. And that's our focus this morning, the promises of God. God always keeps his promise. Let's pray together, shall we? Would you bow your head? Lord, I pray over this group of people today, and I come before you in the lovely name of your son, Jesus. Baby Jesus, teenage Jesus, adult Jesus, I come to you in the name of your son, Jesus, the one who died for me, the one who sits at the right, your right hand, Father, and who's interceding for me today. And I thank you for the privilege that you give us to be in this room together in the name of Jesus, that we don't have to hide and we don't have to hang our head, but that we can walk in here understanding that we are coming in the name of Jesus. So thank you for that today. We praise you for it. Father, as we go into this uh, search of the scripture, this time of teaching and preaching and encouragement today, I ask you, God, that you would strengthen our hearts, open up our minds, allow us to receive from you exactly what you want us to receive today. Lord, I ask you that you would guard us so that our minds would not drift off, that we would not get distracted. But I pray today, God, that you would help us to stay focused on what you're doing. I ask you also today, God, that you would put a guard upon my lips today, upon my mouth, that I would not say anything that would be harmful to this body today, to these people. I pray, God, that you would be glorified. You'd be honored today in Jesus' wonderful name. And everybody agreed by saying Amen. And if we could get a, a baby to, to yell out, could, do we have any babies in here that could give us an amen? Okay, there you go. That was good. And by the way, we love our babies. They're not our distractions, believe me. Babies are good to have in services. Amen. So let's talk about John the Baptist. Let's go to, to, to Luke 1, and I want to read... Uh, the passage to you out of Luke chapter 1. I'm reading this out of the NLT because it's such a beautiful read, and I want you to just listen, if you would, to this. Come on, you version. Get going. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. Some have it as Zacharias. Zacharias, Zechariah, either way, it's good. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife, Elizabeth, was also from the priestly line of Aaron. They had some pretty good credentials. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations, They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. By the way, Elizabeth and Zechariah, the parents of John the Baptist. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned... A great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, 
an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or, or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you the good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. By the way, that was the first instance in the Bible of charades. (laughs) I couldn't get through that without saying something. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. Yeah, it just gives me cold chills, Tony, to hear that. I just, I just love that. John the Baptist. If, if, if John the Baptist were standing before us today... He wouldn't remind us of the Dickens Christmas Carol people downtown that's coming up this weekend. You know, they're wearing their beautiful hats and their bows, and they're all lined up just right, wearing velvet and singing Christmas carols. Uh, He was more of a street person. He he wouldn't look all dressed up. He would look like he just came out of the gutter. John the Baptist had a rough appearance. His words and his appearance both were rough. Who he was doesn't fit in with our thoughts of the sweet baby Jesus and all the beautiful little uh, decorations and heavenly angels singing. But he is part of our narrative today. See, John the Baptist was, uh, had, had some strange things to bring to the table. We love ham and turkey and, and all the things that go with that. But with John, it was locusts or grasshoppers and wild honey. Instead of our comfy PJs and possibly even a soft throw in our living room and a crackling fire, John brings us scratchy camel hair and a rough old leather belt. Instead of the comforts of civilization, we find John in the wilderness preaching, prepare 
the way of the Lord. You see, he was a strange character, John the Baptist. We probably would have called him a kook. His people's skills were poor. He didn't communicate very well. He wasn't politically correct. He was in your face, and he died a violent death. They cut off his head. So what does John the Baptist have to do with anything today? Well, Luke chapter 2 tells the story of the birth of Jesus Christ, and Luke chapter 1 tells the story of the birth of John the Baptist. So he was no small figure in history. At one point, Jesus even said about John the Baptist that he was the greatest man who had ever lived up to that time. So the intersection of John the Baptist and Jesus starts with an angel, the angel named Gabriel. Gabriel appeared to the Jewish priest, Zacharias, who is John's father. About six months later, Gabriel appeared to Mary, Jesus' mother. So I want us to look at the scripture just a little bit. I, I, the references I'll be making are out of the ESV version or the NASB, so you can, you can follow along a little bit. So let's look at these verses together. In, chapter, uh, in, in verse uh, 5 of that chapter in Luke, the first chapter, it says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea. Now we're talking about promises today, right? God keeping his promises. The promises of God are sure. Uh, the promises of the Lord are yea and amen. And in this very first bit of scripture, we look at this and it's kind of like, whoa, that doesn't fit. It says, in the days of Herod, king of Judah. Well, I thought over in Genesis 49, the Bible says that the authority to rule the scepter would always be in the house of Judah until the Messiah came. But here we see Herod, who isn't even a Jew, sitting on the king's throne. I think probably that Luke, the author of this, was just kind of getting this set up a little bit because we know that God's promises are sure. God's promises never fail despite how they appear. So when it says there was Herod on the, on the throne, there he was. But that wasn't the end of the story. And I think that's the first thing that I think the Holy Spirit would have me say to you today. Sometimes when you get to a, a bend in the road, it's not the end of the road. It's just you haven't read the rest of the story yet. It's just a bend. God's taking you through a, another phase. Despite how things appear. How things appear. You know how things appear can fool us sometimes, can't they? We look at a person and say, oh, what a picture of health. And then we hear next week they've had a heart attack and passed away. And then we see somebody who's, who's going through the, the difficulties of disease and we wonder how in the world they're going to make it. And a month later we see them vibrant and strong and healthy. The way things appear is not necessarily the way things are. Would you agree with that? Okay, let's, let's get that locked in. In verse 6, Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous people. They had lived good lives. They were righteous. And what a great testimony. What a great testimony. God can use anybody, right? He used a donkey. He can use you. Wouldn't that be great if somewhere in the annals of history they wrote, Brett Eversole was a righteous man. 
Brett Eversole was a righteous man who had a righteous wife and had a righteous little baby girl, and they lived a righteous life before the Lord, and God loved their love. Would that not be an amazing thing for your children and your grandchildren to read? Well, this is what the Bible said about Elizabeth and Zacharias. They were righteous. They were righteous. And God can use anything and anybody, but isn't it interesting how he so often uses people of faith? People of faith. People who are faithful to him. People who are faithful in their lifestyle. People who are faithful in their reading of the word. People who are faithful who love. People who are faithful in their forgiveness. God tends to use people like that. And then in verse 7, it says they had no children. Elizabeth, Elizabeth was barren, and they were now old. And in this culture, in that culture of that time, it was a shame. It was a reproach. It was a horrible thing for a woman to be of bearing ears and not to have any children. It was embarrassing to them. A woman that could not have children obviously was displeasing God, they thought. A woman who was vibrant and young and beautiful and, and could not have children, everybody knew something was wrong with this woman. Everybody knew that somehow she and her husband had made God mad and God was getting them back. But you see, that's not the case. This couple, this couple was a righteous couple. It's just that they were in a bad situation. Life had done things to them, and, and, and they weren't seeing the end result, and they were living in a, a moment of disappointment. They were living in a time that they had hoped they would never have to live in. And sometimes bad things happen to good people. You hear me? Sometimes bad things happen to good people. And even good people sometimes have to go through rough days. Let's go on to verse 8 and 9. You know, I'm, I really depend on the Holy Spirit to say things. Sometimes I'll pause and, and say, but I'll, I'm, as I go through this today, I'm, I'm just praying, Holy Spirit, would you allow a phrase, would you allow an idea, would you allow a thought to sink into that person's heart and mind that you have it for today? So please be, be receptive to what the Spirit would say to you today. In verses 8 and 9, it says, Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And I think this might have been one of the first instances of the lottery in the Bible. Isn't that funny? No? Okay. I'll go on. Zacharias was a priest. He lived in a day when they used a lottery system to decide who would serve in the temple. In that day, there were thousands of priests. A lot of people would be coming to that temple. The temple was the temple for the nation of Israel and Judah. It was the place where people would go, so there were lots of people there, and there were lots of priests. So, Zechariah was a priest, a Jewish priest. Uh, a priest could go a lifetime. There were so many of them. A priest could go a lifetime that he was, and never be chosen 
to do anything. He's a priest. Well, what are you doing this time? Well, I didn't get my number called. What are you doing this week? I didn't get my number called. And so there's this lottery system, and they have to draw out lots, and they choose who does what. So a priest could go for a lifetime and not be chosen. But how about this? All of a sudden, out of the clear blue, Zechariah was chosen to do probably the most glamorous job that any of the priests could do other than the high priest. He was chosen to offer up the incense in the holy place in the temple. Now that was very special. A throng of people are standing outside the temple. The Gentiles were in the Gentile court. The Jews were in their court. The women were in their court. And there were people all over the place. And then at the right time, three priests would walk into that door of the temple. One priest would light the fire. Another priest would sort coals, I think. And then the third priest, who would go in as the other two guys would complete their tasks, they would walk in and he would be the one to, to place the incense on the burning coals. That's an amazing thing. In my, in my studies, I was in Israel one time and I went to the, uh, went to the Temple Institute and I got a book there and it talked about uh, tradition and what happened. And, and, and they actually say that when the incense is, is offered up, it is symbolic of the prayers of the saints going up to God, right? Tradition has it that no matter what is going on outside weather-wise, that when the incense would be offered up, it would go in a straight column straight up to heaven. Isn't that cool? There was another uh, tradition that was reported that when people would, and I don't know why I'm saying this, but I, I feel like I want to, when people were outside waiting all this to happen and they were worshiping, that they were stacked in there like cordwood. They were just shoulder to shoulder, chest to back, and, and they were just thronging. And yet, when it came time for everyone to go down on their face and worship before God, there was room for everybody. That's one of the priest traditions that, that they tell about through history. And, and I love that kind of stuff. But here he was, getting to go in there and by himself and be in this holy place, designated as a holy place, and there was a, a greater designation further in that area called the uh, Holy of Holies or the Most Holy Place, where nobody could go except the high priest, and that was only one time of year, one time in a year. And so he was there in, the, in that holy area, and he was getting to offer up the incense before God. Zechariah was chosen here at this time did you know that God is not a God of chance? He, he's, he's, he doesn't play dice with our lives. A chance meeting that you have with a person in the grocery store and you have a conversation that might have changed their life. A chance meeting at the church. Seeing somebody at the doctor's office Getting to talk about your faith with your doctor or a nurse. Do you know what? Those are not chance meetings. Those are ordained moments that God has placed in our lives. And we need to understand today, when God did this with Zechariah, he was setting him up for something beautiful. 
And that's what he has for all of us. We need to, you know, the Bible says if we will walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walking in the Spirit is the way we realize that God has set us up for particular moments. As we walk in the Spirit and we talk in the Spirit and we love in the Spirit and we're, and we're in the Word and, we're, and we worship, God will set you up so that your words have greater meaning than they would have under normal circumstances. Does anybody know what I'm talking about here? Has it ever happened to you? How many of you believe that the steps of a good person are ordered of the Lord? You should. It's in the Bible. The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. Now, I think also it should say woman. The steps of a good man or a good woman are ordered of the Lord. So I usually say the steps of a good person are ordered of the Lord because God is always in the arrangements. And I love that. Looking back, can you see how this is true in your life? Decisions that you thought were not so good. Career moves that you thought, how, why God? What is this about? Why are you taking me this way when I know you've promised me to go this way? Why are you taking me this way? Because he sees what's here. He understands what's here, and he knows you're going to do better if you go this way and come back around. I've yet to see anybody that can see around the corner without a mirror. Can you, anybody, you know anybody that can see around the corner without a mirror? I love those little round mirrors that you see in the mountains because you're driving along and see one and it, because somebody can't see around the corner. Do you know that's common to humanity? You can't see tomorrow. You can't see next week. You can't see two hours from now. You don't know what's going to happen in the next 30 seconds because you're human. But I am so thankful today that I serve a God and a Lord and a lover that knows everything about me and everything about my steps, everything about my future, and he knows exactly what I need when I need it because he is an on-time God. Amen? He's an on-time God. That's about as excited as I get. And the whole multitude, verses 10 through 12, I get a little more excited sometimes. But you'll have to catch me when I'm in worship and dancing. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. I reckon so. And fear fell upon him. So this angel, anybody, I'm not going to ask that. Every place in the Bible where somebody saw an angel, the angel had to calm them down. Right? So if you think you saw an angel and you weren't freaked out, yeah, maybe you saw an angel. Maybe God gave you some grace to get you through that moment you didn't know about it. But everywhere through the Bible that an angel appeared, the first thing they said was, oh, calm down. It's okay. It's going to be all right. Don't be afraid. I bring good tidings of great joy, which will be to all... Wait, that's the Christmas story, isn't it? We're not there yet. We'll do that in a couple weeks. And the angel says, don't be afraid, Zacharias. Your, your prayer has been heard. And he's thinking, oh, my prayer has been heard. My prayer has been heard. Breakfast time, right? Breakfast prayer. No, the prayer that I pray when I'm in the car going someplace, is that the one he heard? 
No, no. Which one was? You know, I would imagine that Zacharias was really overwhelmed with the greatness of God because chances are this is the only time in his life he was going to get to offer up incense. And he knew that there were throngs of people praying out front. He was hearing the songs of praise and he was walking in. And I could imagine that Zacharias was going, Glory to my God and King. He is the great I am. He is the Alpha and the Omega. I praise you, my God. I honor you today. You are the God of my ancestors. I don't know if that's the way they do it. I'm just making that up. But I would imagine that he was focused in on honoring the Lord God because of the momentous occasion that he was experiencing. So the angel says, "Um, your prayer has been heard. And at that point, he's probably saying, oh, God saw my praise. He saw what's in my heart, and I'm so thankful to do this, and it's an amazing thing. Um, But there was another prayer that he had prayed that he had forgotten about. Have you ever done that? You had something on your heart and mind, and you prayed this prayer, and you say, oh, God, I really, I I need to, oh, God, this is in me, is on me. I'm praying. And after about a month, six weeks, two months, you kind of forget what you were praying for. Anybody ever do that? Hmm. He had probably already given up on this prayer of having a large family a long time ago. Sometimes when we think our prayers are not heard and won't be answered, we doubt God's care and love. Here all at once, when Gabriel shows up, God answers the two greatest prayers of Zacharias' life. Listen to this. He says, your wife will have a son. That blows me away. Here's an old man with an old woman. They had prayed 20 years ago. God, let us have a family. We want a child. And here, all of a sudden, he says, your wife will have a son. And and he even names him. Says his name will be John. He will be great in the Lord's sight. And he will be dedicated to God from birth. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb, and he will influence the nation to turn toward God in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Whoa, answer to prayer number one right there. Isn't that cool? Would you like to know why God waited so long to answer the prayer of a righteous couple? Why did God put them off? Why did, why did they not get the answer when they were young and vibrant and healthy and and you know, doing what humans do. Why why didn't he answer the prayer then? They were praying the prayer. It's because he had something better for them, something better than they could ever have imagined. They prayed for a child. Any child, Lord. Give us a redheaded one. It's okay. Give us one with the eyes too close together. It's all right. Give Give us a child who's got big ears. Any child, God, we'll just, we'll just take any child. A tall one, a skinny one, a plump one, whatever. Just, we want a child. But God wanted them to have John the Baptist. 
That just kills me. All these years, they're thinking God hadn't heard their prayer. God had let them down. God had disappointed them. They, they weren't getting what they wanted. And all along, God had it in the plans for them to be the parents of the forerunner of Jesus Christ. Whoa. I wonder what God has in store for us when we pray and we pray and we pray. And it doesn't happen. I wonder that we've prayed and we've forgotten. We've prayed and we let go and we prayed and we stopped looking. You know, one of the hardest things in Christian life and spiritual life is waiting, isn't it? Anybody here like to wait for God? How about when you pray, do you say, Dear Lord, I want to pray for this in my life. Would you give me this career change? And, And if you would, hold off for about 10 years. Anybody? No, we want it now, don't we? And and waiting is so hard. But Zechariah or Zechariah and Elizabeth weren't the only ones waiting. See, the angel quotes from the Old Testament book of Malachi. In the last chapter, the last book of the Old Testament, the last verse, he says... He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. And what this is, it sums up the promise to Israel that God would send someone in the power and the spirit of Elijah who would be the Messiah, who would unite Israel. See, Zacharias and and Elizabeth prayed maybe 15 or 20 years for a son, but Israel had waited 450 years for a Messiah. I want you to know as we enter into this holiday season, our God is a God of his word. And if he says he's going to send a Messiah, he's going to send a Messiah. 450 years, 20 years, whatever it is, when he says it, you can count on his word because God is faithful. In verses 18 through 25, Zacharias doubted what the angel said to him. And he, and he did so for good reason, obviously. He said, it's been, it's been so long, it's not possible. And maybe this is where you are today. You prayed these prayers. God, help me. Do something. Change something. Help me. Maybe you've doubted as well. and Maybe you've given up. And with man, maybe it isn't possible. But with God, all Things are possible to him that believe. All things are possible. And as a result, because Zacharias would not believe what Gabriel said, he was not able to speak until the child was born. I, I, I want to read uh, the last little part about that. It's, it's in verses 57 through 66 because it's such a blessing. Let me scroll down here. Chapter 1 of Luke, verse 57. Boy, that's a long chapter, isn't it? And you can just listen because it's LV and LT is really good listening. When it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been very merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. When the baby was eight days old, they all came for the circumcision ceremony. 
they wanted to name him Zechariah after his father. But Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. What? They exclaimed, there is no one in your whole family by that name. So they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. He motioned for a writing tablet, and to everyone's surprise, he wrote, his name is John. Instantly, Zechariah could speak again, and he began praising God. All, A-W-E, all fell upon the whole neighborhood, and the news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. Everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, what will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a very special way. See, God kept his promise to Zechariah and Elizabeth. God kept his promise to Mary and Joseph, right? God kept his promise to Israel, and God will keep his promise to us. What has he promised? I, there's so many promises. I want to just give you four short ones. In 1 John chapter 2, the Bible says, and this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. He did everything to set us up for success, eternal life. The second thing is in 1 John 1 and 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He has promised us forgiveness. So anytime you fail the Lord, anytime you fail your family, anytime you fail each other, yourself, go to the Lord in prayer and say, God, forgive me. And he says, I will provide forgiveness. In Luke chapter 11, the Bible says, if you then, being evil know, or, or natural, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You see, he promised us the Holy Spirit if we ask him for it. So what are you waiting for today? When you're, Next time you're in your private prayer closet, next time you're in a worship setting like today, say, Lord, fill me once again with your Holy Spirit. And he said, if you ask, you will be filled. And then in Malachi 3, and I preached on this a couple of weeks ago, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and test me. Try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be enough room to receive it. He promised us abundant blessing. Isn't that good stuff? His promises are so many and so amazing. I just wanted to mention those to you today. John the Baptist was one of those in the Bible who was crying out in the wilderness, and he was saying, prepare the way for the Lord. Make his path straight. Bring up the low places level. Bring down the mountains and level them so that the king can come through. Repent and be baptized. And he was out in the wilderness doing this. And so what is the wilderness today? It's not exactly a desert, but it could be. The wilderness is the place where we can depend on nothing because there is nothing to depend on. Have you ever been in the wilderness before? We can choose to go to the wilderness or God can choose for us to take us to the wilderness. That's never a fun thing, is it? We turn to God there in the wilderness because there's no one else to turn to. The wilderness is where God speaks to you and he says, <clears throat> now that I have your attention. Anybody ever been there? 
where God had to say, now that I have your attention. See, John was a man of the wilderness. And maybe we need to go to the wilderness during this Christmas season and realize that there is nothing to depend on besides the Lord. Just like John the Baptist called out to those in the wilderness, he calls out to us today and tells us that we have an appointment with the Messiah. That appointment is Advent. That appointment is now. Will you keep your appointment during this holiday season? As we move forward, let's not allow this Christmas season to just be another Christmas season. He promised so much. He delivered so much. Let's give him all that we have. In the very beginning, I said we're challenged. We're challenged not to be grumpy. We're challenged to keep the season, reason for the season in its right perspective. We're challenged to stay calm. We're challenged to stay positive and to be kind. We're challenged not to overspend. You know the way all these things are going to work and how it's going to happen? Is if we depend on the Holy Spirit for that. That's the only way. Because when you get in that line at the store, and the checkout girl is, is nasty. The lady elbowed you and got the last one. You know, sometimes the only way you get through that is to say, Lord, help me. And he promised that if you say, Lord, help me, he'll, he'll be there to help you. Amen. Would you bow your heads? I want to pray over you this morning. Lord, we say, thank you so much for your, your word today. We thank you for this beautiful scripture found here in Luke chapter 1. We look forward to learning more about Luke chapter 2 and about the birth of Jesus and how that Gabriel announced his, his birth and, and all that goes on there. Lord, would you somehow allow us to look at this season differently this year? Don't let it be the same for us, God. We thank you for those times in the wilderness when you speak to us, you grab our attention and you change our lives. And today, Lord, we pray that you would move us toward the wilderness one more time not to suffer, but to depend upon you because there's no one else that we can depend on. We love you today, and we bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen.